Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we feature special guests Ron Clements and John Musker, directors of Disney's Moana. And here we are once again, last podcast before a Christmas special, which will be coming up, I think, next week. Thought we'd slide one more in with the release of uh, the new Disney film Moana. Or is it Mona? Uh, I think Moana, or Viana, if you're French. Or it's... Oh, Viana, of yeah. course. How could I forget? <laughs> Moana, as I guess it's known on these shores. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. How are you, Ben? Okay, okay. Are you, are you sure? <laughs> A little stuffy, but I'm, I think I'm alright. I'm staving off something, but it hasn't chosen to manifest it, so get it out of the way now, so that I'll be all sprightly and full of vim and vigor for the uh, for the Christmas uh, season. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how about your good self? I'm very well, thank you very much. I think I've got a, a, a something, an illness on the horizon as well, although that could just be. Uh, gout uh, that's on the horizon obviously after I've eaten every single thing in the upcoming Christmas season um, so now nah, I think I'm alright I think I'll be fine It's uh, it's been a interesting few weeks a busy few weeks uh, I think it kind of ties into our first bit of news that the uh, UK animation industry had a, had a bit of a shindig at 10 Downing Street which uh, uh, Squiggly was invited down to uh, I drew the short straw and went down <laughs> Uh, which was quite interesting. Myself and Aaron ended up there. Uh, so, uh, as uh, as you know, uh, Ben, Animation UK have been lobbying Parliament for uh, about a decade now, uh, founded by uh, Ollie Hyatt from Blue Zoo. And they've just formed the UK Screen Alliance, uh, and they were launching that at Downing Street and celebrating uh, Ardman Animation's uh, 40th anniversary. And uh, what was announced? What was announced? Well, there was some quite interesting figures announced. Uh, he says, like, uh, only the accountants have not turned off this podcast after I said that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they announced that the UK uh, animation industry is worth an estimated £1.5 billion pounds a year to the UK economy uh, and attracts over £300 million pounds of inward investment. So that's people spending in the UK or coming to the UK uh, or, or, or paying money for UK services, which is fantastic. Uh, well, especially given that the animation industry in the UK is relatively small. It's it's only about 6,000 people. So I've worked out that that's £16 million per animator or animation practitioner, which is drawing in the kind of money that only people that mine blood diamonds <laughs> draw in and the similar working conditions as well so uh so what does this mean i absolutely no idea what this means it means that we're in really good shape i suppose and it's nice to see and nice to celebrate um the shindig was put on by the uh, minister of state for digital and culture uh, matt hancock who gave a very kind of reassuring speech saying that the government is more than aware of the kind of cultural contribution uh, of UK animation and uh, obviously very happy with the work we're doing and when we're sort of dragging in that kind of money over to the UK uh, it's uh, it makes no 
it's it's no alarm really that they are obviously aware of us and uh, and and happy with uh, with the work that we're doing. So it's nice to be recognised in that way. So if there is weight behind those words, a glimmer of good news mm. in what has been uh, sort of universally regarded as a bit of a sh- time. It's nice to wrap the year up on a more positive note. Well, it's nice there. It, 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 the atmosphere at Downing Street was it was like the British Animation Awards, but everyone was on their best behaviour. Apart from uh, one bad influence whose uh, identity I will protect by changing her name. So let's call her Koana Jin. Ah, fiendish. Yeah. Uh, she tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, Steve, Steve, follow me. And uh, she took me through to this uh, massive room with a huge long table in it. Uh, and uh, she said, look at this. I said, well, what, what am I looking at? Is this the, is this the cabinet office? And, and she said, no, no, this is where Theresa May has her breakfast. And it was this huge dining, this absolutely huge dining room. I look, this is like, come dine with me. It, yeah, right, it was like, <laughs> where they're fucking around the underwear drawers and shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't, get, we didn't quite get that far. Um, <laughs> well, that's a, that's I, a draw you wouldn't want to... <laughs> well, we have no idea. Um, so, um, uh, Kwoana uh, then uh, said, This is the cabinet office, follow me! <laughs> through, the, through this other set of double doors. <laughs> now, uh, this Kwoana, is she a certified tour guide of number 10 Downing Street? I or don't... Was- <laughs> I don't think she was certified or qualified to give us a, uh, the tour that we were giving around there because when we went through to the cabinet office, which is absolutely magnificent, as you could imagine, this security guard comes <laughs> comes bounding <laughs> into the room. And he's not like a kind of, you know, half hour security guard. This guy's got military training and comes in and goes, is there any particular reason why you walk through a closed door to get through here? And so... um Kuoana starts, uh, you know, batting her eyelashes and going, oh, um, well, uh, the doors were open. We were allowed through. And, and uh, i like you to leave immediately. Proper growling at us, this bloke. So we, we run. Let's say run. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like, like naughty school kids. Back into the room <laughs> where, everyone's, where everybody's uh, mingling still. And I go and try and find the nearest tall, bald bloke so I can kind of blend in and <laughs> get lost in the crowd so we don't get kicked out. I like how the uh, the, the sort of combative security guard who realised he dropped the ball mm. and mm. it was probably a door he was supposed to be guarding. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Went out for a cigarette. That's lovely. I uh, That and uh, the photograph of Joanna... Uh-oh, <laughs> the jig is up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The photo of her doing up Aaron's tie. Was, <laughs> <laughs> that was lovely. Bless him. It's Aaron, a noted animation producer who's never done a tie before. <laughs> so that's something nice to uh, to begin on. What else is going on? Well, uh, somebody's felt the wrath of Hayao Miyazaki's uh, criticism. Have you seen this video uh, that's that's been doing the rounds uh, online? Of course, yes. This is one of the this is one of the best things I've seen. Um, <laughs> in years, I, I think we were talking a little bit about him in the last episode. We did, yeah. We mentioned that he 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 is come out of retirement, and by the judging by this video, uh, retirement for the fourteenth time or however many times he's retired hasn't softened him. No, no, he doesn't f- around. He doesn't. He, he doesn't <laughs> mince his words. There's a video online called uh, Hayao Miyazaki's thoughts 
on an artificial intelligence. And you can find this on a YouTube channel, uh, Manhattan Project for a Nuclear Free World. And, um, yeah, it's scathing stuff, isn't it? Yeah, you're watching someone's soul get crushed. <laughs> like, he's basically completely... Obli- well, let's, let's, let's punch it up, because this is I, I just want to watch this again. Presentation of artificial intelligence model which learns certain movements. So these guys are showing Miyazaki their demo for something they're developing. Essentially, it's intuitive AI animation, but the um, demonstration model is this zombie-esque, you know, corpse that's all twisted up in what looks like pain but kind of like horror movie movement you know the the limbs are all kind of crossed over and stuff like that and it's crawling over the floor the perfect thing you'd want to show to Hayao Miyazaki (laughs) when you look at his body of work you think oh he'll love this (laughs) and he's like he's just looking at his you know watch and he's like well this is what he says every morning I see a friend of mine who has a disability it's so hard for him to just do a high five. That's a little fucked up that he's making his friend with a disability high five him. But let's <laughs> let's skirt around that for now. Uh, his arm with stiff muscle reaching out to my hand. Basically, he's taking issue with the rather insensitive looking uh, character. This zombie character kind of looks like he's twisted up like someone with cerebral palsy might have or something, I guess, is his issue, or someone with some kind oh, of ailment. It, it kind of reminds... It's a little bit too extreme for a disability. I mean, Hayao Miyazaki has, has likened it to a disability, but it does look like something from a zombie film, as the guy said that this is an application that they could use for this uh, this artificial intelligence animation. But it also reminds me of... Do you remember a film called Going to the Store, uh, where it was just this kind of rubbery, naked, anime, uh, CG-animated guy who was walking in a very bizarre way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the crazy sort of, like, all over the place. Um, one of my favourite things, actually, was seeing Barry Purvis reenact that on stage. <laughs> Rather well, actually. He's quite limber. <laughs> oh, Barry. But I remember, yeah, I remember that. It's similar to that, really, isn't it? But this here that's been shown to Miyazaki is an unfinished product. It's something that, that doesn't work, and it and it, it is really uncanny and creepy and twisted, lit- in, in, the, in the literal sense. And sometimes, actually, when a video game f***s up, like, it glitches out, mm. and the character will get all, like, contorted and stuff, it almost feels a bit like that, mm. in a way. So, yeah, it doesn't feel... But I guess it's... The idea is that the eventual thing would be used for... I mean, it would have a great video game application if it was for, like, a zombie type game you'd want something with an intuitive sense of ai where to go what to do you know attack patterns that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but i guess they're trying to develop some kind of intuitive animation system for filmmaking or storytelling is that right yes or something along those lines so so they feel like they're doing something that's on the the cutting edge and they think that the master of of animation will be suitably impressed and uh they're in for a rude awakening (laughs) what else did he say Referring to his disabled friends, he says, Now thinking of him, uh, I can't watch this stuff and find it interesting. Whoever creates this stuff has no idea what pain is. I'm utterly disgusted. If you really want to make creepy stuff, go ahead and do it. I would never wish to incorporate this technology into my work at all. I strongly feel this is an insult to life itself. <laughs> and then, then it cuts across to this guy... And he's just, he's got the greatest, like, I'm having my dick handed to me face. I'm just like, uh-huh. 
right? Like he's not crying, but like he's <laughs> he's beleaguered, and he's just like looking at the ceiling, like, okay, don't lose it. Um, yeah, this is just an experiment. We don't mean anything by it. So anyway, and so yeah, the other Studio Ghibli guy Suzuki says, "So what is the plan?" And then he says the dumbest thing I think you would ever want to say to Miyazaki. We want to build a machine that can draw pictures like humans do. Ooh. Now, that's kind of like saying it like a sort of conference of like, you know, retail workers. Like, we want every one of your chain stores to have automatic checkout tills yeah. and render you completely redundant. We want to eliminate the human element from animation whatsoever. Perhaps the most human art form there is. What a terrible thing to say. We want to eliminate humans from it. It's weird, like, the way AI is getting so astute now, and it picks up on humanity, but it picks up on the most obvious components of humanity as far as what's out there in the world of social media. So you get these AI bots, like Twitter bots and things like that, that are sort of designed to develop a personality from observation, and within days, they're completely racist. <laughs> yes. I'm not even I'm not even f***ing around. This is, like, have, they've had to yeah, take him offline, they've tried it again, same thing happens. It's weird how that's the easiest thing for a machine to grasp, is just the shittiness of humanity. Miyazaki, obviously, is a, he's a guy who puts an awful lot of, of humanity and, and, and empathy in his, into his work and understands uh, the human condition. And these guys just want to be able to... Obviously, they see the beauty in that because they want to recreate it. Mm. But Miyazaki can only see it through his own through his own set of eyes, through his own pencil, and through the pencil of other artists like him. So it's it's really a bit of a, a bit of car crash telly, really, isn't it? I've not seen the full documentary, but you can sort of tell at the end that the context of this clip is actually, you know, you're, you're more sympathetic to Miyazaki in the sense that it's almost as though he's being told that this is the way of the future and this is sort of the way things are going to go after he shuffles off the old coil there. Mm. The last line in this clip is something along the line, what was it? Yeah, I feel like we're nearing the end times, which is a bit bleak. I don't know where the documentary goes from there, but it sort of implies that that's a part of a documentary that's reached its somber moment and these younger developers were kind of the catalyst for that somber moment of mm -hmm. like, well, this is the way it's going. And this beautiful art form that I've contributed to, that me and my peers have helped create and propagate, is going to be regarded as archaic and something that's replaceable. And the man-made element of it is being regarded already as sort of expendable. That may be completely wrong, I've not seen the whole thing, but that seemed to be what I picked up on. Sure, well, sure, you've got to contextualise these things, but that, 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 uh, <laughs> that excruciating conversation clearly took place. I'm sure he didn't just go into the office to give those kids a bollocking and then went to his back to his light box to say, oh, it's the end of times. Um, but uh, very interesting viewing nonetheless. Uh, and I would be interested to see how the technology continues from there. It is sort of interesting what they're doing. I just think you've got to know your f***ing audience. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. Give him hell. <laughs> I just came out from the London International Animation Festival. How was that? Which was... It was good fun. Uh, as swish as uh, you and Aaron's time was at Downing Street, which I'm sure was fine. But uh, I don't know if you saw my little uh, hotel video of the, the swanky life that I lead when I'm on the road. I have seen your video, and I'm sure people who want to go on to Ben Mitchell Creative Awful on Facebook can find it. But tell the listeners about it. It was sort of like a cross between 
in terms of just like the shittiness factor, not in terms of like the scale, but like it was a cross between the Overlook from The Shining <laughs> and the Hotel and Button Fink in terms of just like grottiness. So I did a little um, travelogue video about it. The, here's the depressing thing before I go to the festival stuff. There's a part of it where I imply that the hotel's like haunted. Mm-hmm. So I do a little bit of like stuff with After Effects. Everyone I know, like who I and people I've worked with in the industry, are like what was that real? Like, yes, it it was a real ghost in my room. <laughs> like, it's not like a, you've known me for ten years and know that I work in After Effects. Like it was more believable to them mm. that my my hotel room would actually have a ghost in it than I would have a basic knowledge <laughs> of what's actually a really shitty done After Effects. But in that video. Like, I thought, if anything, it was going to be too cheesy. There you go. I thought it was a great video. This is a thing. We could do anything on the internet. If it's on a Facebook video, people just believe it. This is it. This is this is why uh, the world politics is shaping up the way it is. Well, the festival itself, of course, was lovely. Uh, it was a good excuse to not hang around the hotel, uh, having stuff to do and catch up with people and such and such. Because I kind of missed, the, uh, I missed last year's. Um, I was called away. Uh, to Canada because uh, there was some family stuff happening, so that ended up kind of overlapping over the last year's edition. So I'm glad to be back, and there'll be uh, some coverage up. I'm sure by the time this podcast goes up, and there'll be some more to come. But some of the films that uh, hadn't come across, which uh, that's another nice thing about this festival, quite a lot of quite new stuff, which at this stage in the game, as far as like the festival circuit is concerned, is is not that common. Very satisfying screenings and. Aside from a couple of <laughs> unfortunate uh, placements in the audience where I'd be sort of sat in the midst of like student groups mm. who uh, felt the need to uh, provide their own commentary track, shall we oh. say. One was this crazy, like, you know, Japanese student film. Insane things happen, you know, that, that really rich creativity that that culture sort of breeds in a really good university environment, I guess. After the credits roll, one of the guys says, Ooh, that were a bit weird. Now, I didn't see him, but I assume he's really attractive because him saying that got a huge laugh from the female companion he was with. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's my kind of litmus test. Like, you know, when someone says something that isn't funny and someone with them laughs, they probably fancy them. Yeah, I can see him combing his hair back as, as all the students around him are laughing. He's like the Fonz. Yeah. Good looking bastard. But some lovely stuff, and there's a rundown of the award winners on the site. All very well-deserved, I thought. They had a really good abstract film screening, like experimental film screening, which is a hard cocktail to get right, as we, you and I have been to many an experimental animation screening and barely survived the experience. <laughs> like, it's, it's, you just, it gets to a point where you're just looking around, like, seriously? And that's some pretty you know, high-tier festivals as well. Like, at any rate, the abstract film selection at London was actually good fun. Just really good animation. Mm. It can redeem something that's completely meaningless. That was a relief, you know, because I, I do go to those um, abstract screenings with a bit of trepidation. But seeing them all next to each other sometimes puts you off as well because you're flung around, you know, from pillar to post and you don't quite understand it. But if it's programmed in the right way, if there's a flow to it, at the same, regardless if it's abstract or if it's a, a program of any films, they could be very uh, narrative driven. There has to be some kind of backbone to the the structure of a film screening because you can be sat down for an hour, an hour and a half, 
Mm-hmm. It needs to be enjoyable. You can't just sort of box people in the head with a, a, a crazy uh, playlist of films. There's one film which I had seen actually before at uh, Stuttgart and uh, liked it. I met the guy. He was a very nice guy. Um, uh, had a very different kind of day job. I think he worked on Ninja Turtles. But he did a, a re... He did like a cover of Begone Dull Care, but with pixel art and with 8-bit music construction. Basically reimagines Begone Dull Care as, you know, this kind of 8-bit, sort of very 80s, very kind of like home computer experience. And especially, I guess it's probably because he's a Canadian guy, so probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have been referring to like the old BBC microcomputers, which I'm pretty sure was a UK-only thing, but it really felt like that. What was it called? I think it's just called Begone Dull Care 8-Bit, or Begone Dull Care 2015. Right. That's by Paul Johnson. And it's just an interesting watch. It's lots of fun. Anyway, uh, best abstract film for the London Festival was uh, Saigon uh, by Erdvan Kuhlenberg. Lovely film. It's a film that has some pretty experimental... Uh, elements to it uh that was very happy to see best british film which i think we talked about in the last episode uh john is dead the new chris shepherd absolutely fantastic film yeah really nice to see that win yeah it was great it's you know it was weird because chris had um the guy who plays Jono from both the films this is the follow-on to mm. dad's dead which he made i think in 2003 2004 and that's a quite dark creepy film that kind of like pressed up against a pane of glass look that the faces get yeah. as it goes. That's something that's brought back as a, as a motif in this film. Has a really similar vibe. He incorporates some footage from Dad's Dead and interweaves very well. And for those who haven't seen the film, it's a, it's a two-part story. And this new film is the long-awaited second part of a guy who has a, you know, a person in his life who's just you know, a ne'er-do-well. And the main guy isn't exactly a saint, but this guy in his life is, you know, he's a particularly bad influence and he actually um, winds up getting in a lot of trouble taking the heat for this guy who's sort of his friend, but really he's just a piece of shit that, you know, they hang out together. So the, the second film is him coming out of prison and trying to track him down, but it's hard because he sort of sees him everywhere. So we got the same guy who plays Jono in both the films, who's the bad influence. It's interesting because the first film, you follow this, even though it's told in, in retrospect, you follow this, this character's decline at the hands of Jono. And you see a good person turn bad. And this film, it's the result of that. After years in prison, he's now been released and his thought process isn't quite what it was, but it's still, I think, Shepard really kind of presents a similar film but a, a complete mirror image of it also among the award winners before love igor kolyov and uh, oh this one i loved it was called jukai by gabrielle lissat it's an auto de minui film mm-hmm. and auto, whenever i see a film beginning with auto de minui i'm like oh okay yeah because they have a pretty great batting average like nine out of ten of their films i they'll just be feel like they're tailor-made for me well, Chris's films, Alter uh, de Minuit now. Yeah, it's a great pairing. They, they work very well together. Uh, Rosto, who we had on a few episodes ago, he f- found you know a, affinity with them. You know, I think that they have a really great eye for kindred spirits. And there's one film that uh, I've seen at a couple of animation festivals. It was at Stuttgart and Annecy, and it's very odd. I really like it. 
kind of feels like a, a sleep paralysis nightmare in a way. Right. It's live action. So a guy wakes up on a beach and everyone around him is completely still. It's like a day out in the beach, like kids holding ice creams, you know, people playing. And for some reason, no one's moving except him. But he can hear people talking and he can hear beach sounds. And and I think that what qualifies it as an animation film is that they're not just people kind of like standing around doing the mannequin challenge. Like, I think they have composited photographs and are using very elaborate motion tracking to keep up with this kind of steady cam look of the film. Hmm. And it's interesting because I've it's animation festivals that I've I've seen it at a couple of times and it's almost anti animation. You know, it's people being perfectly still combined with live action. <laughs> so it's it's really kind of odd to hard to categorize it. But it's a great film. I want to try and find the name of it. It's a, it's a cheeky way of getting into an animation festival. I think Marcel enjoys doing that kind of thing. This is part of a screening where he kind of purposefully was like, okay, what's going to really challenge what people think animation is? The off-limits screening, I guess. But yeah, the film I'm thinking of is called Estate. It's also known as Summer, and it's by Ronnie Trucker. So there's a trailer for it. It's worth having a little look to kind of see if people see what I mean when I say it feels a bit like a kind of a bad dream you can't wake up out of. Hmm. There's a very uncanny valley element to the stillness of the people. And that anyway, that's Auto de Minuit as well. So I'm always kind of, you know, I'm always into what uh, what they have to offer. And this one was particularly nice. It's about the Japanese suicide forest. And it's great because it's on the heels of that awful film that came out about the Japanese suicide forest. Oh, with uh, her from Game of Thrones in it. Very possibly. <laughs> well, they, there's my... They, they find it based on those facts, yeah. folks. Um, and it, it, just such, it just went to show... Wow, what a great way of of proving how better an idea is done with short form animation mm. than in a feature film, which I think was trying to be like a horror film. This really used the element of like because people go into these woods and they leave a trail of colored string behind them. Okay, I guess so people can find them, or if they change their mind, they can find their way back. So that string element is a really big part of the putting together of the film. So yeah, that was really nice too. And best sound design was Otto. Not the Yoris and Mariyuki Otto, though. No. Different Otto completely. Otto is a pretty interesting film. Mm. The ending, I always... When you know the ending and you're kind of, like, watching it with people, you're kind of looking around like, okay, what are people going to make of this? Yeah. And it's usually like, uh... Okay. (laughs) That were weird. Exactly. So, yeah, as I said, there'll be um, more sort of in-depth coverage of the um, films that appealed to me that didn't necessarily win awards, but uh, always worth uh, bringing some coverage onto the site. So keep your eyes on the site mm. for that. But good fun. Kudos to Nag Vladimirsky for uh, another good job. And uh, it's funny, the fellow who puts the screenings together uh, is a guy who I met years ago at a comic convention when I was promoting Throat. Oh, yeah. I very briefly sort of dabbled in the comic book, like, you know, trader table circuit. But he had this, like, sort of unwavering energy, and he has he had loads of little comics. And I remember he, him being just very funny and very amiable the entire weekend, and he kind of helped out a lot. And I think I got a lot of his sort of residual traffic because he would get a lot of people at his table. So that was nice. I hadn't seen him in years. Turns out he is working at the London Animation Festival. Yeah, and his website is Gronk Comics, if anyone wants to have a read of some funny comics so all told it was a nice uh, it was a nice trip hotel room 
notwithstanding. I did expect John Goodman to show up every once in a while to show me the life of the mind. It did look like a cupboard where sex crimes happened. It was like I was in the insulation. <laughs> so back in the real world. Mm. Meanwhile, back on, on the awards circuit, the kind of wider awards circuit, we see all these festivals are, are dishing out their, their awards for short films, but... It's all eyes on on feature films, really, at the moment. And My Life as a Courgette has won the Best Animated Feature at the European Film Awards. Uh, It was up against uh, Psychonautus and uh, The Red Turtle. Oh, yeah, that's quite a tough competition, I think you'd agree, Ben. Yeah, I like Psychonautus. I I think I put up a review of it earlier in the year. You did. I would say that Courgette does kind of beat it out. Hmm. You know, I mean, I th- I would say of the three, personally, Courgette's the the personal favourite. I've been quite surprised at how public enthusiasm for the Red Turtle has kind of waned before it's had a chance to fully take hold, because it was it was the absolute talk of Annecy when it had its sort of special preview screening, and of and of Manchester, sorry, because people I think people when they see it within the environment of a festival, they're caught up within it. This is interesting because talking to people at Manchester, it was actually kind of a different beast. And I think that because it had maybe an air of mystery around it, like that first screening that we went to see was a kind of like special, special event kind of thing. And I would stand by all of the positive things I said about it at the time. I thought it was an absolutely exquisite film. Mm. But it was kind of interesting, like because anyone who would, had seen the film at Annecy seem to have that same kind of, kind of attitude toward it. And outside of Annecy, like at screening since, people have seemed a little... Maybe because there was so much buzz generated then, maybe the film has kind of struggled to live up to that sort of expectation. Oh, right, okay. So I, I, but I don't think it's a bad film remotely. I think it's... If you like the art of 2D animation and you like to see it done well in this day and age, you know, for the same reason I would say go see Ethel and Ernest... It's such a wonderful contemporary use of an art form that I'm very enamored of and besotted with and keeps one humble. Mm. So I would have said that maybe like Red Turtle and Courgette, or Zucchini as it's being referred to in the States, would be a closer competition yeah. than Psych. I think Psychonautus feels like a very Ben film because it just has a lot of dark, weird humor in it that not a lot of people I know particularly the kind of I don't know, engage with that as much. I just like the sort of... Do you remember the clock in Psychonautus? Like the clock with Oniwi? Yeah, yeah. I love... Like, that was just wonderful. Like, weird stuff like that. But Courgette is just... It's got everything. Like, it's... it's You know... I, I Seeing it again at Manchester, which was an absolute treat. I'm very glad you guys got to show it. Because it absolutely improved with second viewing. It's interesting how, like... I'd forgotten there's that shot... It's the main publicity still for Courgette... It's a shot of all these kids in the snow, mm-hmm. and it probably sells it as more of like kids' fair because one of the kids has actually been like packed into a snowman. Yes. So his head's coming out of the top, and his arms are coming out the sides. And you'd look at this and think, "Oh, this is a very nice looking kids show," but that shot in the movie, that very specific shot, is really haunting in the context of what's happening. Mm-hmm. The just the way it lingers on them and staring. It's so weird, like how like a picture in a certain light has a completely different vibe to it. There's a lot to that film. 
I'm sure people who are, you know, people who haven't seen it yet, they're probably sick of us talking about it because it seems like every episode we are talking about how much we love this film. I won't pretend it it was easy getting it to the Manchester Animation Festival, and I really hope that now that it has been bought in the UK, that it does see a full UK release as the film was screened in Manchester, as it was screened in Annecy, and that there's no uh, messing around with it or editing because it really needs to be seen as we saw it. That's my other fear is like inevitably there'll probably be an English language version of it and I really hope they they get it right. Because mm. the voices in the um in the original version are just spot on. Um but uh yeah. Anyway, congratulations, Claude Barris and Co. Um well deserved. Sticking with feature films, Ben. Mm-hmm. A feature film that is in uh cinemas now is Moana. Or Viana, or whatever it's called in uh, in other countries. It's uh, Disney's latest uh, animated feature. A lot of nice things being said about this one. Mm. People seem very happy with the lead character, the title role, Moana, mm-hmm. how she's been uh, put across. It's always sort of good to see. I think Disney, of course, always very good at, um, or always very keen to explore other cultures as springboards for you know the backdrops of their movies. Sometimes a couple of decades go by and you look back at the films and like, oh, they maybe could have done a slightly better job of that. <laughs> you know what's weird is hearing people talk about Aladdin like it's kind of like dodgy, which of course at the time never, and you never would have thought like anything was amiss about it. Except for like there was one line in the song that they had to change. They'll, uh, something like they'll cut off your, uh, they'll, they'll cut off your hand if they don't like your face. Yeah, that was it. But then later on in the film, they almost chop off Jasmine's hand, and that was fine. They didn't edit that out. Yeah, as long as they're showing violence against women. <laughs> yeah. And uh, did you see, I think it was an honest trailer, because they do all the Disney films, I think, eventually. Mm. And I find those quite hit or miss, to be honest. But every once in a while, they get in a great f-ing line. Yeah. And uh, so they have replaced lyrics from the songs with their own lyrics sort of talking about like, you know, addressing some metaphysical inconsistencies with the premise of the film. And if you remember in the opening sequence, Aladdin's being pursued because he's stolen a loaf of French bread. <laughs> and so they've changed the line of like that song where the people, the people are pursuing him to like, where did you get a French baguette? And Aladdin goes, it's just how cartoon bread's drawn. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to search that one out. Anyway, I'm sure Moana will, will stand the test of time. It's the same directors, Ron Clements and John Musker. They've earned their stripes, you know. Mm. And also what I'm hearing is it's another funny one, that uh, there's a lot of really great humour to it. I'm hearing great things about the music. It's the incredible uh, big head uh, version of, uh, of, of, of this, this character, Maui, who um, is supposedly based on uh, an actual... Uh, Maori uh, legend, mm-hmm. uh, which has upset a few people. Uh, in fact, I think Disney actually created a, a suit for kids to wear, which had all the tattoos on it, right? Which annoyed a lot of people, and it was instantly taken off sale. Uh, so they have got that. What you were talking about earlier on there, Ben, the uh, social faux pas out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, the 
particular song and dance number, You're Welcome, it's a fantastic showcase of the styles that they have adopted in this film because uh, Maui uh, is this huge, larger-than-life, bombastic, big head, but he's covered in tattoos that are all animated by uh, Eric Goldberg, Mm. the legendary Eric Goldberg, should we say, who uh, animated the genie in Aladdin. And this particular video clip is a great showcase of that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm having a little watch of it. I mean, we'd, we'd seen stuff from it when we were at Annecy, but it's nice to kind of see it as like part of a musical montage. And it, it's interesting how, yeah, it really does evoke that uh, Friend Like Me sequence. Yeah. Contortions and manipulations and uh, metamorphoses and things like that. He does a bit more animation like in other parts, right? Like, Yeah. I think they go into that a bit in the interview, if I'm not mistaken. They do indeed, yes. Okay. I'll, I'll let them... Explain that then. <laughs> this was shortly after the Annecy presentation, right? It was, yeah. We got yeah. we got to spend some time with them uh, at uh, at Annecy, and uh, I went up to interview uh, the directors Ron Clements and John Musker. But uh, as it was a Disney interview, uh, and Squiggly's uh, Katie Steed was in within earshot, there was there was no way of me putting any kind of editorial authority on that. She had to be there. There was no saying no. Uh, she uh, she joined me for the interview, uh, which was great. Cool. Well, let's have a listen. And uh, I believe the first voice we'll be hearing in this interview is John Musker. Now, we went to the South Pacific. We saw them do tattoos. You oh, know, wow. With the, with the, yeah, with the hammer. Yeah. We didn't actually we should get, get any. One of the, <laughs> we didn't go get to the any with our, our, our again, development, development executive, yeah, Jessica Julius. She had one done on her foot. It's like a little sort of asterisk. But it was, and I held her hand, and they took the guy a half hour or something. But it's wow. kind of a neat thing, yeah. They do it in, it was in Samoa. Oh, no, the tap, 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 yeah. tap. That's, 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 that's how you get the name tattoo, yeah, tata. Um, yeah, it's permanent. It's ink that, yeah, it's, it's as permanent as any tattoo. It's just not with, they actually, they used to use boar's teeth and they would take a candle nut and burn the stuff and put it in there. Nowadays they, they tap, but it is a bunch of needles that they put on a thing. And it can be painful. Hammer it in. Yeah. Um, especially <laughs> if you're getting a lot um, and it can Well, the Samoan title, the chiefs, they, it's called a pea. It's tattooed like from there to here. That's yeah. so dense with ink, it's almost like a solid mask. It's kind of a rite of passage, yeah. and, and uh, some um, just aren't able to kind of make it through that. Uh, <laughs> and but the then, washouts, or, you know, then they're a little ostracized if they, yeah. they didn't they didn't make that, it through. That could be a good place to start the interview. Then, as as chiefs of the production, did you get your <laughs> legs? Yeah. I can show you my pay. But my white flesh would blind you, I think. Here, uh, I know. Well, everybody said even when we were there, are you going to get a tattoo? And we we did not we get tattoos. Out. Well, our head of storyboarding, uh, Dave Pimentel, was talking about getting a tattoo down there, but I don't think he did. He either. still has a gun. But I know he there really is a question because um, in the story, uh, our heroine does not have have one. But uh, there's a question whether or not this is going to popularize tattoos for young girls, possibly just because of the whole cultural thing. We'll see. But certainly Molly, our character Molly. Very early on, we really wanted to have his tattoos tell the story, his stories, you know, that he's kind of a walking billboard of all these exploits, and each one of those tells one of his great adventures, and we literally, we haven't used the joke, but I'm still hoping we get in the movie that, that uh, when he says, you want to hear my backstory, it's like, <laughs> yeah. excellent sound. Uh, but, I mean, who uh, wouldn't want a tattoo done by Eric Goldberg? I know. Right. And and and, and I would like want, a tattoo. Who wouldn't want tattoos that come to life and, and actually um, move yeah. around and, yeah. and, and have emotions? Yeah, Eric's actually having a lot of fun, and he's really been uh, inspiring, I think, for the CG animators to see 
his hand-drawn animation sort of wedded with what they're doing, and it's been it's been great. And uh, Mark Hen, actually, who's one of the great animators too, is doing some tattoo work as well. And so we also did, you will know, have some tapa animation. Yeah, tapa is the sort of where they take the bark of a tree and they the mulberry tree. They take it off and then they pound it and they use it for fabric and for clothing. So the clothing is actually made that way. But with those prints that they make, and they print with flowers and with dyes and things on this sort of pounded uh, bark of a tree. It's called Tapa. So we have a sequence that takes place on Tapa, and there's sort of hand-drawn animation that's woven into this kind of flat, you know, uh, designy uh, South Pacific world. So it's in our opening that we showed it today. And, that's and in another that song. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's superb. Um, the, the main cast as well, we're talking about the, uh, the two main protagonists yeah, right, there. Yeah. Um, one of them, voiced by an extremely well-known celebrity. Yes. The other one, voiced totally by unknown. relatively unknown. Absolutely, yeah, completely yeah. unknown. And yet, they're they're um, they uh, will really hold their own against each other. It's like that's that's what so fun that Ali is is a great match for Dwayne Johnson, and Moana is a great match for for Maui, and and um, um, it's it's just fun to see the dynamics of their personalities is play it off. Is in the UK other. or no? Vian or Moana? In the UK, Moana. Moana. it's Moana in the UK. Which is, right. yeah. Were they in the box together recording? Because that must have been. They haven't actually. They so have an, right. an animation, and particularly because I mean, Dwayne is—he's shooting a movie. We've in, never in recorded the, him in California because we always have to go where he's shooting. So we record him in Boston, in Atlanta, in Florida. He lives in Florida. With Ali'i, we did record her once in Hawaii, where she lives. She's come out to Los Angeles a few times to record. We are planning to get them together for a yeah. session, but it will probably be in a month yeah, or so but, that um, we get them together. But um, so they've tweeted back. Mm. They've, they've corresponded on the <laughs> social network, but never been in the same room at the same time. On the yours, that was a good gag. I really yeah. Liked. Did you like the tweet? Yeah. Jared yeah. Bush, our writer, <laughs> current writer. That was his joke, and it was a, it's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Excellent. Um, you guys have, have been part and parcel of the Disney. Um, directing world for for years and you've you've been through um the wars the well <laughs> you've been through the the miller era the cats yeah, uh, uh, yeah and some other eras as, as well yeah, yeah we're sort of like these uh, oak trees that are still there and you know the settlers come through yeah we're the two old men but we, yeah there's been we've been there for some uh, periods some, good times some lulls and some, and times, some really yeah. some very good periods and uh and uh, yeah, and it um, feels feels like right now the studio's going through a really strong period, and that's do you think, that's great. Do you see. think that reflects in the work because it looks incredibly strong at the moment? Yeah, it's I think it does. Album. I think John Lasseter has been, a, you know, obviously a hugely positive influence with his emphasis on storytelling and quality. That you know, he never, he, he almost never judges anything based on how much this is going to cost or any of that kind of stuff. It's just what tells the story the best and. His own storytelling telling instincts are part of it, as well as just his infectious enthusiasm for the process. So I think all the different productions, Utopia, Frozen, Tangled, Princess and the Frog, since John's come 10 years ago, have all been infused with his sort of uh, enthusiasm the staff, for the art form. The staff, which is pretty young right now, I think, uh, were um, relics of, uh, but there's, I would say overall, the median age is pretty young. So. Um, and people are just so we feel do that there's people. a lot of excitement, and yeah. people just. Um, That's because we have people animating on our film who are, you know, like 
in their late twenties or thirties, and so they saw Aladdin as a little kid, and so they're, you know, they're, it's kind of fun for them. They're, they, some of them, I see them tweeting, you know, this is surreal. <laughs> the eight-year-old me is is peeing with excitement, you know, and uh, because. But it they, was the same you know, for us. We 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 were yeah. kids. I mean, and we were young, and we um, and we both started at Disney when we were relatively young, working with some. Um, older artists, um, some of the nine old men that we, we got to work with, like uh, Frank Thomas and Eric Larson and Ali Johnston, and, and um, we were kind of wide-eyed and, and, um, and just big Disney fans and just thrilled to kind of be, be a part of that. And, and now you see it from the other end that, that um, all, these, all, these, all these young people, and they, they grew up uh, and, and were inspired by some of the things. And, um, and they're really excited now to be able to do this. And I think every film, um, and it's not easy, and, and, and um, it's very hard work. Um, and, and, it's still a uh, challenge because we rip apart these stories so much that the actual production part gets mashed and mashed, and you know, so then people have to work long hours to finish the movie, which is what we're doing now and what other artists are doing. And they're hoping to still get it straightened out on the front end a little bit so the production periods are a little longer. My sense is, in spite of all the obstacles, morale is really good at the studio, and that's yeah. a big part of yeah. things when people are enjoying what they're doing and they're happy about what they're doing. It really reflects in, in the product. I think the audience can And I think, like, even though we didn't work on Zootopia and we didn't work on, you know, Wreck-It Ralph, we enjoy those successes and we really feel like it buoys the whole studio. So it's a very collegial atmosphere that way. It isn't a competitive thing. It really is trying Yeah, and we're in a thing now that um, um, it's sort of an all-hands-on-deck that, that everybody helps and, and they have their problems and their story problems and the things to go. You feel this, this united, like, we're all Disney and, and mm -hmm. everybody wants everything to be the best it can possibly be. And, and I'd say that's maybe something I've never quite seen before as, in terms of the way it is right now. It, it's really um, just kind of moving to this sort of witness. Do you also feel that um, lack of competition with Pixar because you share a... Well, we're, we're siblings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, that's a thing. Do you want their films uh, to do well? And, and uh, oh yes, yes we do. We definitely <laughs> do. And we're Pixar fans and we've been yeah, Pixar I, I, fans I haven't seen Finding Dory yet, but have you guys seen, um, you're seen it now? Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've it's, heard it's um, really great. We know a lot of the people at you know, Pixar and... and and certainly John Lasseter, we've known forever, and he comes from Disney, and then he was at ILM for a while and, and, and sort of created Pixar, and we, we are huge fans of the Pixar films. And, and, um, and I do think there's a feeling of satisfaction right now They're still seeing Disney have it one success after another when there were times where Disney animation was kind of, had become a bit of a stepchild to, mm -hmm. to Pixar a little bit, and I think, you know, the, these films, I want to see all the Pixar films do well, but I'm happy that Disney has consistently kind of reestablished itself now as a, a yeah, sort of a brand of quality and, and excellent filmmaking. And, and I think you want to, the, the goal is, is that what Pixar achieved, and I think what Disney is achieving is, is, is a trust that the audience to develop a certain amount of trust with, with um, that you, you know that, that um, um, you're going to see something where people have really worked their hardest to try to make the best possible film that they can, and and um, and if, if and if there's a consistency to that, uh, which is what Pixar has achieved, I think, where you you just you just trust that studio, um, and and that's what we we want too, is for people to trust uh, Disney Animation, and that's how that's how it was when we were kids. I mean, I think we trusted the brand because Walt Disney 
was the person that really exemplified that. And, and I think I always felt with every Disney film that um, he really wanted to give the audience something. Uh, he really wanted to give them more an, than they an experience. They and, and yeah, if you could if you could give the audience more than they expected, that was the best possible thing. And, um, and so that's and we want Disney to keep keep going in that direction. Thank you very much for talking to Squeaky yeah, today. Okay, well. That was John Musker and Ron Clements, director of Moana. Always nice to have a nice new film out, you know, this time of year. Get the family together. Round them all up. Mm, get them down to the cinemas. Yeah, thanks, Katie, for coming down to that one as well. Yeah, so Moana in UK cinemas now. Tremendous. You can also see that superb Inner Workings film before there as well. Ah, yes. And I believe uh, down the track we'll have some coverage of that one too. Mm. We're not going to spoil you just yet. <laughs> so that's all for this episode of the Squiggly Animation Podcast. We'll be back very shortly for a uh, Christmas special roundup, which uh, will be great fun. And if you're in a Christmassy mood, uh, any time between now and the 14th of January, you can get yourself down to Bournemouth, uh, to the gallery at the Arts University Bournemouth, to visit uh, an exhibition that I uh, curated called Reanimating the Snowman. Uh, which has original animation production material, cells, drawings, everything from the production uh, of The Snowman and The Snow Dog. And we were even lucky enough to get hold of some original cells, uh, storyboard material, etc., from The Snowman. So it's a great kind of telling uh, of that tale uh, and a look at the, the artistry that goes uh, into the making of those films from TVC. Uh, and from Lupus Films. So that's Reanimating the Snowman. It's a free exhibition at the gallery at the Arts University Bournemouth, and that's going on until the 14th of January, 2017. Also early on in January, my film Clean and Throw will get what may be its final screenings at the London Short Film Festival, I'm very happy to say. Schedules permitting, I'll be there for it, and if you're so inclined, you can come check it out on Tuesday, January 10th, at the Moth Club for the 7pm screening WTF Outside the Box. It's also part of the New Shorts Animation Selection on Friday, January 13th, 8.30pm at the ICA. And that's also a great opportunity to catch the film Jono's Dead, which we talked about earlier, uh, as well as some other great work by Kim Nochi, Astrid Goldsmith, and Peter Vax, among others. So for more info, including venue location and how to book visit shortfilms.org.uk. In the more immediate future, however, any German listeners who may be near or in Berlin can see an older film of mine called The Naughty List on Saturday, December 24th. Why, that's Christmas Eve! At the Weihnachts Film Festival. And you can check it out as part of their Snowflake Shorts screening at 6.30pm at the Kino Movimento. More info for that one at weinaxtfilmfestival.de. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben L. Mitchell. Steve is at Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson. Squiggly is at Squiggly. And we're on Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. Also Instagram at Squiggly Animation. And the website itself is Squiggly.com and or Squiggly.co.uk. The choice is yours. Until our 2016 Christmas special, happy, no, Merry animating. Oh, yes.